0: All right, we're going to wrap up our study today uh, called Behold, I Show You a Mystery. And last night, we left off talking about the mystery of godliness and what the mystery of godliness was, and we were talking or contrasting what godliness was compared to false godliness, which is all about pleasing the flesh. And we're continuing to look at the word mystery which in Greek is mysterion, but in Hebrew we would call it, or say the Hebrew word, sowed. So we're going to conclude the study by looking at what is the mystery of Babylon. So we're going to be all over the place, so um, just buckle your seatbelts. All right, here we go, Revelation 10.7. Revelation 10.7. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. That word mystery is mysterion. But notice it says, at the sounding of the seventh angel. When it says the sounding of the seventh angel, it's talking about the seventh trumpet of Revelation. It says when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. And remember that word mystery has to do with something that's already been it's been revealed, but it hasn't been quite understood to its full fullness. As he declared to his servants the prophets. So this mystery that is about to be finished, it was declared to his servants the prophets. Now, do you think his servants the prophets had a full understanding of what the deeper mysteries of God were? Think about Daniel. When Daniel received all of those prophecies, what did Daniel say? Okie dokie, Lord, I understand everything you just showed me. Daniel was probably scratching his head going, I don't understand. But God told him, seal it up, it's not for you to know, it's for the time of the end. So, and the, at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, or the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. So what is this mystery of God that is about to be finished? Let's go to Revelation 11, verse 15, and that helps to answer the question. Revelation eleven fifteen says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. So the mystery that's being spoken of back in Revelation ten seven, the mystery of God that would be finished, is that all the kingdoms of the world at the time of the end would become the kingdoms of our Lord and Messiah and it says he shall reign for how long forever and ever leolam vaed so think about this who did, so if if messiah if the lord is getting the kingdoms back that means who did they belong to
1: satan
0: they belong to satan where did man relinquish that title in the garden in the garden of eden at the very beginning Remember last night we looked at the mystery of lawlessness. How long has lawlessness been? From the beginning, when man first fell, when man began to commit lawlessness or iniquity. So, who did the kingdoms belong to? As I said, that belonged to Satan. So, at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the kingdoms of the world become the kingdom of the Lord. So, notice it says that he shall reign forever and ever. So, if this was revealed or declared to his servants the prophets as revelation 107 say then we should be able to go back to the old testament and find where it was declared to the servants the prophets all we have to do is go back to the book of daniel so let's go to book let's go to daniel chapter 2 before we turn there how do we know daniel was a prophet because the lord says he is, says he is. now if you look in a jewish published bible where is daniel today He's in the writings, not part of the, the prophets. He's part of the writings. Because what does Daniel 9 say about Messiah? He would come when? First about the first century. So, but the Lord himself calls Daniel a prophet in the book of Matthew chapter 24. Well, let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2. We're going to read quite a bit in Daniel 2 because I want to give you another word that can mean secret secret. Or mystery, So we're going to start in verse 14. Start in Daniel 2, 14. So Nebuchadnezzar has just had a dream. Does Nebuchadnezzar understand his dream? Nebuchadnezzar does not understand his dream. So he calls in all his wise men, quote unquote, and says, all right, I had a dream. Tell me what the dream is. And what did the wise men say? Oh, king, you tell us the dream and we'll lie to you and give you an interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar saw right through that, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He saw right through it and he said, No, you tell me the dream and its interpretation or I'm going to kill you. What did the, um, what did the wise men say about that? Nobody can do that. There's nobody that can do that. So, but, so Nebuchadnezzar said, All right, you're dead. Verse 14 it says then with counsel and wisdom Daniel answered Arioch. What was Arioch there to do to Daniel? Kill him. Kill him. And so Daniel saying, "Wait a minute. Hold up." And with counsel and wisdom Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, "Why is the decree from the king so urgent?" Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him, more, give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, otherwise known as who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 18, it says, That they may seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. All right, you see, you see the word secret right there, right? Alright, the word secret, this isn't this is the section of Daniel, from Daniel 2 to Daniel 7. This section is in Aramaic. So it's the Aramaic word Raz, R-A-Z. Um, and it's the Strong's word 7328. So the word musterion is synonymous with the word sowed, but it's also synonymous with the word Raz. So when we talk about the mysteries over in Revelation 10, Revelation 11, we can also look back to the book of Daniel because those words are interchangeable. The word raz, the word sowed, the word musterion. So it says they, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret. So think about this. What is it that Daniel and his companions did that the wise men of Babylon did not do? they sought the secret from who? God. They sought it from God. So that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19, Then the secret, that's Roz, was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for his wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. Literally, that's the... The time, just time like what we'd have on a clock and the four seasons. Not talking about the feasts and festivals here. It says he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. That's important. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. According to Hosea 4.6, what is knowledge? That's knowledge of Torah. That's knowledge of God's commandments. Verse 22, it says he reveals deep and secret things. That's Ra's. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Doesn't this sound pretty much identical to what we read last night in 1 Corinthians 2 that talked about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of this world? To people of the world, what does the wisdom of God look like? It looks like foolishness. But according to this scripture here, who is it that gives the deeper understanding of things? It's God. Those secrets, those things that can only be revealed. So... Why was Daniel able to understand the dream, but Nebuchadnezzar was not? So think about that. Why was Nebuchadnezzar not able to understand the dream? So when he had the dream, to him it was just a scary dream. But he knew within himself it had some kind of deeper meaning. He just didn't know what it was. So he called all his wise men together. Could they tell him the interpretation? No, they didn't have the spirit of the living God within them. But then who did Daniel go to for that petition? He went to God. And God revealed to him the secret things. So verse twenty-two it says, He reveals deep and secret things, he knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells in him. Verse twenty-three, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what is asked of you. For you have made known to me to us the king's demand. So God not only gave Daniel the interpretation, he also gave him the dream. It wasn't just the interpretation of the dream, it was the dream. Because that's what Nebuchadnezzar was asking for. Verse 24 Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known the king, to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel... Now think about this. Didn't Daniel already go to the king and say, Give me time. I'm going
1: gonna,
0: I'm gonna to have the interpretation. Just give me time. And then here's Arioch saying, Hey, I found a guy who made, has the interpretation. So, What do you think Arioch is trying to get? A little bit of clout for himself. A little bit. Verse 26, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? So what does Nebuchadnezzar want to hear? The dream and the interpretation. 27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare it to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. That's the word "raz," And has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the what? Latter days. The Ahri Haimim. So we could change that to say instead of the latter days, what would be a better interpretation? The end of end of of days. So whether Nebuchadnezzar realized it or not, he had a dream which was a vision of the future. Of the end times. Your dream, back to verse twenty-eight, it says, "Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these." Here's the dream. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while you were, while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who re- and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what what will be. That's the word Raz. Verse 30, but as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. So Daniel is saying it's not because I'm just some great and awesome guy that I was able to interpret the dream in all my mighty wisdom. Who does Daniel give the credit to? To He points it straight up to God. He says, it's all God, it's not me. I'm just a a vessel. Verse 31, it says, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. You could also say its form was dreadful. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands and struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength and glory. So who gave Nebuchadnezzar his ability to reign and to rule the world? It was God. And remember back in Daniel 2.21, it says, "God removes kings and raises up kings." So He's telling Nebuchadnezzar, "Don't get all high and mighty, Nebuchadnezzar. You're here because God put you here. You, O king, are a king of kings, for God of heaven, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory." Verse thirty-eight. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven. He has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. So in that vision, Nebuchadnezzar saw a head of gold. So that head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar, but it also represented which kingdom? It also represented Babylon. Now think about gold. Gold is is a very valuable, very, very valuable substance. Now if you keep listening to the to the interpretation, it's going to go from from gold to silver to bronze, and what do we know about the value of those metals? The, the, they decrease in value, which means well. Well, let's just get to it. I don't want to. I don't want to give it away. All right, verse thirty-nine. But after you shall arise another kingdom, what inferior to yours? How was that able to happen? If Babylon was the most powerful army on earth, how was Babylon able to fall to a lesser, more inferior kingdom? God allowed it. God allowed it and it was arrogance. How did Babylon fall? Do you remember? The Medes and the Persians overthrew Babylon. They dammed up the Euphrates River that ran under the gates or under the walls of Babylon and they marched right in, marched right in. Everybody in the city was passed out drunk, marched right in. So how do you think all of that happened? You think it just happened by chance? God allowed it to happen. Verse 39, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. That's the Medes and the Persians. And then another, talking about another kingdom inferior to that. A third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Who is that? That's Rome. So the Macedonian Empire, led by Alexander the Great, that's the third kingdom of bronze. It was overthrown by, by Rome. It says, a fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes. Now, yeah, iron is less in value, but what is the strength of iron? Stronger. Very strong. And that represents the, the you've heard of, being, of ruling with an iron fist. So what does that mean about Rome? Are they going to be nice, um, compromising people? Or are they going to be absolutely dreadful? Dreadful. dreadful. So think about all the things that Rome did to people. They introduced crucifixion, all of those horrible things. It says that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. How much of the world did Rome take over? The whole known world at that time. Verse 41, Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Now, think about Rome. Babylon was overthrown by Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia was overthrown by Macedonia. Macedonia, those four kingdoms that split after Alexander the Great, they were overthrown by Rome. Who overthrew Rome? Nobody. Nobody. Rome still continues today, as it says here, in some form. Does it continue as the Roman Empire? No. No. Think about how Rome continues today. Catholicism. Catholicism. Y'all said it, not me, right? All right. Whereas the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. So think about what characterizes that kingdom. After the time of, when the Roman Empire split, remember the Roman Empire split into the eastern kingdom and the western kingdom. Constantinople in the, in the east and Rome in the west. I'm having to get my, my directions straight. So, Constantinople in the east, Rome in the west. So, those, those kingdoms were split. But notice it says also that the feet are mingled with clay. Now, this says the strength of the iron shall be in it, but what characterizes that kingdom, that Roman Empire that still continues today? Mingling, syncretism. What is it trying to mingle? The the strength of the Roman Empire is being mingled with what? Religion. With God, with religion. So, how well do those two things mix. When you try to take all these different religious systems and all this power and strength and try to mix it together, what does it say? It says that the iron and the clay do not adhere to one another because one's going to overpower the other. So, think about all the religious systems today. It's a good thing we don't see ecumenical movements around the world trying to form one world religions and have a single religious system. Too bad we don't see any of that today, right? Yeah. So, the Roman Empire, according to the book of Daniel, according to the vision that Daniel saw, continues today, but it continues in a different form. Instead of of ruling just with a complete iron fist, how is it ruling through? Through religious systems, through false religious systems. Now think about this, think about King Henry VIII. When King Henry VIII wanted to annul his marriage, who did he have to go to? He had to go to the Pope. So that's how the Anglican Church kind of got its start. But that shows us that they were still subservient to, to the Pope or to Rome. Verse 42, it says, And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all other kingdoms, and it shall stand how long? forever. Remember what we read back in Revelation 11. At the sounding of that seventh angel, that seventh trumpet, it said, the kingdoms of our God, the kingdoms of this world now belong to who? The Lord. This is that prophecy being fulfilled. So, when does that happen? Did it happen at the time of Nebuchadnezzar? Did the rock hit hit Nebuchadnezzar's image on the head? Did it hit it on the arms? The chest? The legs? Where did it hit it? On the feet. On the toes. So that tells you the timing of when all of this is going to happen. So it's in that time when the iron is mingled with the clay and we see those false religious systems being... What's the word I'm looking for? Promoted promoted around the world. Very good, thank you. And in the days of these kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people it shall break in pieces and consume all other kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Verse 45. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke, the pieces, it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. All of those kingdoms represented those kings and kingdoms that we we mentioned, but also what characterized those kingdoms? What kind of religion characterized those kingdoms? Pagan idolatry. So when it says that this kingdom that's going to be set up, this messianic kingdom is going to be set up, it says, what, what does this say about idolatry? No more idolatry. It's done. It's done. Broken pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. What was used mostly to make those idols too? Silver and gold. The great God has, make known, has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and in its interpretation, sure. Then Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. They didn't put this in, but what do you think Daniel probably told Nebuchadnezzar?
1: Right.
0: Get up. Get up. 47. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord the Lord of kings, and revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. So this is the word raz again. So... Nebuchadnezzar understood that Daniel worshipped the true and living God. Now, does that mean that Nebuchadnezzar made an about face that very moment? No. Read Daniel 3. What did he do? He took that same image and built an image entirely of gold and said, no way God. You're not going to... You're not... I know better than you God is what... Basically what Nebuchadnezzar was saying. But... These events let us know the timing of when things are going to happen in the end time so when should we expect to see the messianic kingdom established when we see that that kingdom of iron that, that Roman Empire that's mingling with the false religious systems of the world continuing through that through this day that's when we should see it to start see it start happening so let's go to Revelation 17 and let's read more about this religious system Revelation 18 Revelation 18 Revelation 18 so reading more about this false religious system I'm sorry. Revelation 17. Revelation 17, not 18. 17. Revelation 17, verse one. Verse one. It says then one of the seven angels who had one of the seven bowls came to me, came and talked with me, saying to me, "Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters." Now I want to pause for a moment. When you see the word harlot in end times prophecy, what does a harlot represent? A false religious system. A harlot represents a religious system because what it does is it tries to get you away from God. Because think about what God said. When God would talk about the people worshiping idols, He said they're committing adultery. Because who were the people betrothed to? They were betrothed to God. So when they started calling idols, husband, in the eyes of God, what were they committing? They were committing adultery. So it says, come I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So talking about this false religious system had permeated how much of the world? All of the world. Verse 3, so this is talking about the time of the end now. Verse 3 it says so he carried me away into the spirit in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy and again a woman a harlot represents a false religious system it says i saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and 10 horns where have we seen seven heads and 10 horns daniel. the book of daniel So what is this pointing us right back to? This is pointing us right back to the book of Daniel. And it's talking about that kingdom that we just mentioned, that kingdom of iron mingled with clay. That kingdom at the time of the end. Verse 4, it says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great. That word mystery is the word musterion, which is also synonymous with the Hebrew word sod and with the word that we read in Daniel, raz. It says, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So this is telling us right here that there is some kind of deeper meaning to Babylon. So it says, mystery, Babylon the Great, the what of harlots, the mother of harlots, the the genesis of harlots, the genesis of all these false religious systems, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So according to this mystery that's hidden in plain sight, where do all the false religious systems of the world, where can they, they all point back to Babylon. They all point back to Babylon. So, verse 6 says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Yeshua. And when I saw her, I marveled with great excite- amazement. So, it says this religious system, is this religious system for the people of God, for the saints, or is it against the saints? It's against the saints. So, when you read about... It says, the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Yeshua. What does that mean? In the name of this false religious system, people are going to be murdered if they believe in, if they believe in Yeshua. Did that happen through the ages? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's read about Babylon the Great. So this mystery must, if it's a mystery, if it's, if it's mentioned here in the New Testament, it uses the word mystery. That means there's something in the scriptures that we can point back to and see it. Where do we first read about Babylon? Which book? Genesis. 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 Let's go back to Genesis. Let's read about Babylon. So let's go to Genesis 10 first. Genesis 10 Genesis 10. Now, Genesis 10 talks about the nations that descended from Noah. How many different nations came from Noah? Seventy nations. So Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So from the sons of Ham, Ham had a son named Cush. Verse 8 says, Cush begot Nimrod... You've heard the name Nimrod before, correct? <laughs> yeah. Not calling somebody a Nimrod, <laughs> but you've heard the word nim, name Nimrod before. So, Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. Pause. Do you see the word mighty or phrase mighty one? That word in Hebrew is Gibor. Gibor. G I B B O R. Gibor. Where have we heard Gibor? And Messiah in Isaiah 9 is referred to as what? El Gibor mighty God. So Nimrod it says is being referred to as a mighty one on the earth a Gibor. Now think about this. Nimrod as we're going to read in just a moment founded Babel which we call Babylon. From Babel That's where the false religious systems of the world evolved. What do these false religious systems try to do? They try to point you away from God. So who is it that wants to be like God but will never be? Satan. So all these false religious systems are, without realizing it or not, who are they pointing you to try to worship? Satan. Satan tries to be like God. Tries to be a gibor, a mighty one. But we're talking here about Nimrod, but he's comparing himself to El Gibor. Yes?
1: Uh, It might be of interest. Um, Nimrod, um, it says mighty hunter, yeah?
0: Yeah, Um, in verse 9.
1: Apparently, I think it's in the Sumerian creation story and flood story. Very interesting, the name of the king um, That builds the tower um, I mean when we read in the Bible Nimrod the hunter That's not particularly negative is it But if you look at the Sumerian version The name of the king means the hunter Mm -hmm. And he rebels against God it says Wanting to build a tower so that the flood won't Drown them anymore, so tall they won't be drowned if there's a flood. It's an act of rebellion against Mm -hmm. God, Right. Sumerian one, and he's called, it's in Sumerian, and I can't say the name, but it means the hunter. Right. That was his name. I find that very interesting.
0: Right, and if we read verse 9, we're going to find out a little bit more about Nimrod's character, and it'll go, it'll go right along with what you're saying. Verse 9, it says, he, talking about Nimrod, was a mighty hunter. Again, mighty gibor. Before the Lord. Now, the word before means leafnet. In Hebrew, is leafne. It literally means in the face of God. Yeah. So, he was a mighty hunter in the face of God. So, does that mean that he was trying to be like on the Lord's side? No. no. Do you have a question? He opposed God, yeah. And it goes along with what with what Edmund said. That he, it wasn't that he was on the Lord's side. He was opposed to God in God's face. So think about... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say real quick. I've also heard that he was hunting men. Yes.
1: Hunting men to join his... Yeah. Okay.
0: To join his forces. So he was just hunting you know, deer. Right. Right. And it says, he was a mighty hunter before God. Now think about, let's keep a finger here, go to Exodus 20. And we'll, saw, we'll see another place where that phrase, or that word, leaf nay, is used. To kind of give you an understanding of what it means, he was a mighty hunter before God, in God's face. Alright, Genesis, not Genesis, Exodus 20, verse 3. Exodus 20, verse 3, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. That word before is leifne. God is saying literally, You shall have no gods in my face. So when we go back to Genesis chapter 10, and it says he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, that means that he's opposing God. He's in direct opposition to the Lord. So he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And again, we talked about that word gibor, mighty one. The Lord is referred to as El-gibor. So what was Nimrod trying to be like? He was trying to be like God. How well did it work out for him? Not worth a flip. Verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Babel, Babel. Why it's translated Babel here and not every other place where Babylon is used? Because it's the same Hebrew word. It's the same Hebrew word. So here it's used Babel. So when you read other places the word Babylon, it's still the Hebrew word Babel. Same word. So it's how it got changed from Babel to Babylon, not sure, but it's still the same word. So who began the kingdom of Babylon Nimrod. Nimrod Nimrod All right let's go to Genesis chapter 11 so just go to the next next page or if you have my bible it's the same page Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 and 1 through 9 so we're looking at this mystery of Babylon what what is it that made it the mother of all false religious systems and would you-
1: Throw the switch on that small black box to see if that's where the hum's coming from. This one. No, no, that one right there. Yeah. Okay,
0: that's not the source. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is. I've tried muting everybody, but it, it did it, it. Yeah, it did it last night, and it eventually, it eventually stopped. All right, Genesis 11 verses one. We'll just start in verse one. It says, "Now the whole earth had one language and one speech." If I was a betting man I bet they were all speaking Hebrew. Now it came to the now the whole earth had one language and one speech and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Where is the land of Shinar? Babylon. That's Babylon. Then they said to one another come let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly and had brick for stone, and had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So they were going to build this tower, and it says, Whose top is in the heavens. Now, do you think that they were building this tower to get closer to God? No. No. Did God know that? He knew that. He knew they were going to use that for what? What were they what were they trying to get closer to? The sun, the moon, the stars, all of those things that they worshiped. Verse 5 says, "But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do." Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech." So if they were doing a good, righteous thing, would God have intervened on their behalf? What were they trying to do? To get closer to heaven for what purpose? To worship the sun, the moon, the stars. Verse 7. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel or Babylon. What does Babel mean? Confused. Confusion. You've heard the word Babel. Babel. Therefore, it is called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, do you think that this stopped the people from being pagan idolaters? No, no they were just pagan idolaters speaking a different language. That's all it was. So he broke it up so they would stop building this tower. So this is the, what we see is the mother of harlots. We see this is where these false religious systems are. Are getting their beginning. And it all started with, with Babel, with Babylon. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18. Revelation 18. So Revelation 17, we read about this mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. This is where all the false religious systems of the world began. Now, if you think about all the all the the, the um kingdoms that ruled over all the earth all of their religious systems were basically the same religious system Just repackaged. So how many of you learned about Roman and Greek mythology in school? All right This God was also called by this name, right? Zeus was called Jupiter Hermes was called this and this one was called this one. So did you ever wonder why? They had different names. I mean, it's the same. It's the same gods Quote unquote, just passed down through the ages. It's the same religious system, just repackaged. Sunday?
1: December
0: 25th. December 25th. And Sunday, right? Yeah. I mean, because of, I mean, think about Constantine. What was his religion? It was Mithraism. Who was Mithras? So, yeah. The God of the invincible sun. So Sunday, sun worship. Yep. It's all making sense, right? All right. Revelation 18, 2. Let's start in verse 1. It says, after these things, and I want to I want to read. Yep. After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Now, did he stutter? No. 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 He said it twice. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Now, just an aside, this is Revelation 18. This is the time of the end. If everything was declared clean, why is there still a distinction between clean and unclean birds? Just an aside. But anyway, all right, back to back to the point. Revel- Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. Now, are those words used in the Old Testament? Yes. So this is talking about two fallings of Babylon. We're talking about physical Babylon. Who, o- fi- who overthrew physical Babylon? The Medes and the Persians. So that was physical Babylon. But we see here in Revelation 17 and 18, it's still talking about Babylon. But what is it talking about? Is it talking about physical Babylon? It's talking about spiritual Babylon. So there was the fall of physical Babylon, but the Babylonian religious system, what did it continue to do? It continued on through the ages and is still continuing today in some way, shape, or form. It's just repackaged. But it says, Babylon the Great is fallen, in fallen. So this is the fall of spiritual Babylon. And when does that fall happen? In the second half of the tribulation, the of the tribulation period. So this has not happened yet. Has not happened yet. But let's go back to Isaiah 13. We're going to look back in the scriptures and see where does, where does the Lord prophesy, or where does the Lord speak these words? So the, the phrase Babylon is fallen has fallen has been uttered before. Isaiah thirteen. Isaiah thirteen. <coughs> Starting in verse seventeen. It says, Behold. Behold means what? Listen, Listen very closely. Behold, I will stir up the medes against them. Who is them? That's Babylon. Who will not regard silver, and as for gold, they will not delight in it. So what does that mean? That means that can they be bought off? No, they can't be bought off. They're there for a purpose. And what is it? It's to conquer Babylon. It's destruction. Verse 18, it says, Also their bows will dash the young men to pieces, and they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye will not spare children. So are these, are these people here to make peace? Nope. No. Verse 19, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. How completely did God overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah? Totally. totally. You can't even find them today. And then look at verse 20. I have this underlined in my Bible. It will, talking about Babylon, it will never be inhabited. What what happened when um, Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild Babylon back in the late 80s, early 90s? Got destroyed. Got destroyed. When God says it will never be inhabited, what does he mean? Never. Never be inhabited. Nor will it be settled from generation to generation, which means how long? Forever. Nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherd make their sheepfolds there. But wild beasts of the desert will lie there. And their houses will be full of owls, ostriches will dwell there, and wild goats will caper there. The hyenas will howl in their citadels, the jackals in their pleasant palaces. Her time is near to come, and her days will not be prolonged. So that means when God says it's going to happen, when's it going to happen? Right then. When did it happen? Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar was having this party in his, in his kingdom, in the kingdom of Babylon, with all the golden vessels of the kingdom. And what, what happened? The hand appeared and wrote what on the wall? Mene, mine, teko Eupharsin, which in plain English means you're toast. You're done. You're done. So when did it happen? It happened exactly as God said it would happen. And how completely destroyed is Babylon? Totally. God said it would never be inhabited again. This is physical Babylon. All right, go to Isaiah 21. Isaiah 21. Isaiah 21, verse 9. The title of Isaiah 21 in my Bible says The Fall of Babylon Proclaimed. Verse 9 says, well, actually, look at verse 2, right in the middle of the verse. The middle of verse 2 says, Go up, O Elam. Who is Elam? It's Persia. Besiege, O Media. Who's that? That's the Medes. So who is God calling for the destruction of Babylon? He's calling the Medes and he's calling the Persians. That goes right along with what we read in Daniel 2. Verse 9 it says, and look, here comes a chariot of men with a pair of horsemen. Why a pair of horsemen? How many times was Babylon to be destroyed? Twice. 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 And then he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Where did we just read those words? Revelation 18.2. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the carved images of her God he has broken to the ground. So, what does this tell us about Babylon? Did they worship God? Nope. They worship the carved images of her God. So, when does that ultimately happen? The carved images of her God have been broken to the ground. When is the ultimate fulfillment of that? That's the second destruction. That's the second time that Babylon has fallen. That's talking about spiritual Babylon falling. So, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the carved images of her God, he has broken to the ground. So this, I, I love this because what does this show? This shows the consistency between what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. So instead of looking at it as the Old and New Testament, what should we be looking at as? The Scriptures. Scripture. The Scriptures. One continuous Scripture. So if we can go from Revelation back to Isaiah, back to Daniel, and back to Revelation, that shows us the consistency between all the Scriptures.
1: And who funded Saddam Hussein's
0: attempt to rebuild Babylon? Hmm. Was it the World Council of Churches? Hmm. Hmm. Sure was. No no interest there, right?
1: Say that again, please.
0: Um, Who funded the rebuilding of Babylon by Saddam Hussein? It was the World Council of Churches.
1: Okay, I thought I heard you clearly. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. All right, Jeremiah 50. Jeremiah 50. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed a, okay, a question. Would you please repeat comments so that those of us in GoToMeeting can follow the train of thought? Thanks. I have a hard time listening to a question and repeating it, so I'll do my best to re, retell the comments. So I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to try to rehash what people are saying. All right, is Babylon today, all of Iraq or portions of it? Babylon is no more. So, I mean, you could say that Babylon was in the is in what we call Iraq today but as far as the city of Babylon done not it was along the Euphrates river yes. has just about dried up yeah yeah cuz remember the Euphrates river flowed through the city cuz that's what the Medes and the Persians dammed up to get in to get into the city or reverted its reverted its path yeah that's a better that's a better way to put it they reverted the path of the river yeah Alright, Jeremiah 50. Jeremiah 50. Still looking at Babylon. Revelation 50, Jeremiah 50, verse 34. We'll start in verse 33. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts. That way we know who's speaking. So who's speaking when we see thus, thus says the Lord of hosts? It's Messiah. This is an end time prophecy. So this is looking ahead to the end times. It says, The children of Israel were oppressed along with the children of Judah. All who took them captive have held them fast and have refused to let them go. So verse 33 says, The children of Israel were oppressed along with the children of Judah. All who took them captive have held them fast and refused to let them go. So this is talking about all the captivities over the years. So, if it were up to the people who captured Israel and captured Judah, would they let them go? No. No. If it was up to them, no. But look at verse 34. It says, there, talking about the children of Israel, it says, their redeemer is strong. Who's the redeemer? That's Messiah, the Goel. The Lord of hosts is his name, just in case we didn't know. He will thoroughly plead their case. Now, (laughs) that's kind of funny. Is the Lord going to stand there and try to bargain with people? No. When it says he will thoroughly plead their case, he's going to speak the word and they're coming back. And the people who oppress the Lord's people, what are they? They're toast. They're toast. Just watch Raiders of the the Lost Ark and you'll see what will happen. All right. He will thoroughly plead their case that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. What's what's another way of saying disquiet the inhabitants of of Babylon? Shut Shut them up. They're toast. They're destroyed. That he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. And if you look at verse 35, it says a sword is against the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are the Babylonians. Thus says the Lord. And against the inhabitants of Babylon. So... When the Lord says a sword is against you, is that a good thing or a bad thing? That is a very, very, very bad thing. You don't want that to happen. So we read about spiritual Babylon falling 2,500 years ago. But when we see Lord of hosts, that means, yes, physical Babylon will fall, but there's also a what behind it. There's an end time element behind it. So when we see that, the children of Israel are oppressed and the children of Judah and all who held them captive won't let them go. Does that mean even in the day and age which we live, the children of Israel are not fully regathered back to the land? Right. So we still see that, yes, lot, especially since October 7th, we've seen lots and lots of uh, people make Aliyah. Lots of people have made Aliyah back to the land. You know, And people might think, well, that's crazy. That's where the war is happening. But you know what? I would rather be there than any other place in the world. So if you think about it, they're making Aliyah because where else do they have to go? If they're getting oppressed at every corner where they are, where do they need to go? They need to go back home. They need to go go back to the land. So the children of Israel were oppressed along with the children of Judah, talking about it, it back then and now. So who ultimately is going to regather and redeem the people? That's talking about the Lord. So where do we read about this regathering? Where the, where the Lord redeems the people and regathers them back to the land? Where, Isaiah, 11. Isaiah 11. Let's go to Isaiah 11. There's lots of places we could go. But let's look at Isaiah 11 really quickly. And let's look at this regathering of the people that happens at the end when all the false religious systems have been destroyed, when that kingdom that's been established, that messianic kingdom is established. Isaiah chapter 11. We'll start at verse 10. If we read verses 6 through 9, it talks about the messianic kingdom is going to be characterized by what? Peace. It says, a wolf will be able to lie down with a lamb. How well does that happen today? The wolf eats the lamb, right? All right. And it says, verse 7 the cow and the bear shall graze. Now, normally, if a cow and a bear are together, do they both graze? No. But it says, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And then verse 8, the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Don't really know why, but they'll be able to do it. So what is God saying about this? There will not be hurt or be anything destroyed in all my holy mountain. For the the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So this is talking about an event yet future. Verse 10, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who stands as a banner to the people. Who is that root of Jesse? We read about him in we read about him in verse 1. And it's Yeshua. It says there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch a netzer shall grow out of his roots. So, in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Remember we read yesterday also who is the gospel to? It's to all people. Jew, Gentile, one, and Messiah. That middle wall of separation broken, like Ephesians 2 talks about. For the Gentiles shall seek Him, and His resting place shall be glorious. Verse 11, it shall come to pass in that day, talking about the day of the Lord, that the Lord shall set His hand again the second time to recover the remnant of His people who are left. Now, if He's having to recover His people, that means that they're still what? They're still, they're still in captivity, just like Jeremiah 50 spoke of from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros to Cush, to Elam and Shinar, from Himat to the islands of the sea. So this is talking about all parts of the world. Yeshua is going to regather them. Verse 12, it says, He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So where... Even at the time of the end, according to the book of Jeremiah, according to the book of Isaiah, where are, all, where are the people dispersed to at that time? They're still dispersed to the four corners of the earth. But what is Messiah going to do? He's going to regather the people. He's going to gather them back to be in that messianic kingdom. So that is the mystery of Babylon. And, and like I said before the recording started, you could spend multiple, multiple, multiple days talking about Babylon, talking about false religious systems. So this is just kind of a, a sneak peek, if you will, of what is meant by mystery Babylon. It's meant by these false religious systems that have ruled over the world, but when do those false religious systems come to an end? At the time of Messiah's kingdom. Alright, let's conclude with Second Timothy, chapter 2. Second Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Verse 15. So this is kind of a call to action for everybody. So... If you want to understand the ways of God, remember we read last night in 1 Corinthians, who reveals to you the deeper things of God? It's the Spirit. So when you have the Spirit dwelling within you, it's the Spirit who helps to open your understanding, but also at the same time, you have to be willing to let Him open up your understanding. And verse 15 of 2 Timothy 2. It says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. I like the King James translation better. It says, Study to show yourself approved. So how do you be diligent and present yourself before God? You have to study. You have to seek out the words. You have to be like the Bereans and go to the scripture and find if it's true. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed... Rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's a point right back to the Levitical priest. Because what if the Levitical priest had divided a sacrifice incorrectly? Bad, bad, bad. So, when we divide the word of truth, when we're looking at it, does that mean that we divide it into civil, ceremonial, and moral? No. That's not what it's talking about. It says we divide the, tr- the word of truth. Rightly dividing it means having a correct understanding of it, looking at all the parts, looking at the Scripture, lining up Scripture with Scripture. And that's how you rightly divide the Word of God.